Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. Happy New Year. It's uh, my first opportunity to see you guys. Wasn't last Sunday, if you were here, it was awesome. Our student ministry took over. The worship, Charles Homer delivered an awesome sermon. We had a great start to the year. But I'm glad to, to be back with you this week. I'm glad that we start with our new time. Apparently you got the memo that we're starting earlier or you just walked in two minutes ago. But either way, we're glad that you're here. Glad that we have this opportunity to be together. And I'm excited about all the things that are launching this year with the life group fair that's going on. If you're not in a life group, it's a perfect time to jump in. Uh, we, we had some training last night for life group leaders and uh, the excitement, the new groups that are launching, great opportunity with that. I'm also excited personally, I, I love teaching men. I love our men's ministry. I love teaching better men. And so I, I really wanna challenge all the guys Starting January the 19th, that Thursday morning, we're gonna launch Better Man. We're gonna do the original Better Man curriculum. It's been a few years since we've done it. And uh, I am personally excited because I love partnering with other churches. And Steve Clifford's one of my closest friends here in the Bay Area, and Steve over at Westgate. And we're gonna partner together. We're gonna teach together uh, with that. We'll, we'll do it with Venture Men and Westgate Men. We'll be here hosting on our campus in that. And so I'd, I'd encourage you as a guy, if you've never been a part or you've been a part before, you're gonna wanna be a part of this. And I've been through this curriculum, you know, for the last 20 years, I've, I've been through it so many different times in different variations. I can say this every time. I'm a better man when I'm going through it. I need other guys in my life. I need this. I need to rehearse it and be a part. And so I'd encourage you, go online, sign up, be a part and invite a guy. One of the reasons we do it with multi-churches is we do it under the umbrella of better man that you could invite any guy and it's more focused on how do we connect as men as opposed to just a church thing that we're focused on ourselves here. And so I just encourage all the guys to be a part of it. I also wanna encourage you on your way out, you'll get one of these booklets. The team's worked really hard. That'll go along with this series and it'll have a scripture reading every day. It's pretty simple, scripture reading, a question, a, a thought with that. If you're somebody that you go, there's no way I'll keep up with that booklet, you can also get that texted to you every day. In fact, if you wanna take your phone out, the QR code on your seat right there, if you snap that, it'll take you to a link and you can sign up for this and this'll be sent to you every day, just scripture. And just a question so that we can saturate ourselves in what God's doing and be a part of this together. Now, as I say that, maybe you came in today, you didn't know what the series, maybe you're visiting today and you walked in and you see the generous life and everything in you went, oh crud. He's talking about generosity. He's talking about money. And, and we start getting kind of tight around that. Let me just, a couple of disclaimers right here at the beginning. Uh, one, there's no pledge card. We're not in a campaign. So you're not gonna have to sign up for that or, or be a part of that. Uh, when, when we need money around here, we're very straightforward about that. We'll talk to you about it. We do have some projects that we wanna do out there that we've been thinking about and praying about, but that's, this isn't a part of that. So, so you can go ahead and relieve that. There's, there's not a point in the series 
where, where you're gonna look at this and, and it's this high pitch guilt with this. That's not the goal. I don't work off commissions. So, so you, don't, you don't have to worry about that. That's like, okay, we're just trying to get something out of this. And in fact, budget-wise, um, man, you guys were generous in December and we're right on course with budget. And so it, it's not coming out of it. In fact, this is a series that as an elder board, we've been talking about for a long time. We've spent several board meetings chewing through this and praying through this and looking at it. And, and I'll just say as a pastor, the conviction I have is I have not led you well in this area because we've not talked about it enough. When, when, I, when I start studying, I look how much the Bible talks about the issue of generosity around money, around finances. Boy, I felt conviction that this is so important to God and so important to us that we do need to talk about it. And, and as you hear this, here's the main thing I want you to hear. I don't want something from you in this series, but I think God has something for you. And, and I think it's so important that we talk about it right now, especially in light of what is going on in our country, in our world. And when you look at the United States, it's fascinating to me. You just look at the stats of what's happening, and especially when it comes to the area of finances. In fact, the, the U.S. Census data, the latest census data, you can see it here with it. U.S. medium household income from 1990 to 21. And, and so you track it, you notice something that's happening here. Yeah, this is a pretty good line. You always want things going up and to the right, don't you? Now, right now it's right at about 68,000 is the average median household income. 68,000 across the country. Back in 1990, it was 30,000. And I know you go, oh, well, yeah, inflation, the numbers have been adjusted for inflation. So again, it's showing unbelievable economic growth. Now, then when I, I chart that with the studies of what's happening emotionally in our country. In fact, here, here's just one of the charts, the American happiness scale. And, and this fascinating, and it's, it's just a scale of, of one to three that they do, but it's a scientific scale across the country. You go back to 76 and there's, you know, some up and down. And then, you know, the 80s to early 90s, man, there was a big climb. And those of us who were children of the 80s, we remember it. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah, uh-huh. Isn't it fascinating though, since about 93, we've been on a steady decline. Now, let me go back to this chart, because from 93 to now, we've been on a steady rise in income. But we're in a steady decline in happiness. Uh, and then you add to that, we're, we're in this unbelievable rise in stress, particularly around money. There was an article in the Atlantic, Arthur Brooks, he's a researcher, Arthur, he, he wrote just last year, he, he said, money is one of the things that Americans worry about the most. One survey found that even when the U.S. economy is thriving, more than half of Americans felt anxious or insecure about money sometimes, often or all the time. 
And during the COVID pandemic, this was interesting, during the COVID pandemic, another survey found that workers were almost five times more likely to worry about money than their health. But many of us don't really need to worry about money. Only 11% of Americans live in poverty. And yet, according to a recent survey, more than half of millennials with a net worth greater than a million dollars feared losing their wealth. At least a third of baby boomers had the exact same fear, top fear with that. And and listen to his line. He said, for millions of people then, worrying about money is not a reflection of whether their basic needs are being met. In fact, this anxiety reflects deeper concerns than money could solve. And, And that's what these charts show. If money could solve it, man, if everything's going up and to the right, then wouldn't happiness and wouldn't our stress levels go down and all the other things. But we're living in a time and we live in a country and we live in an age of unprecedented wealth, but it feels like we're struggling with it more than ever before. And especially if you live here in the Bay Area, especially when you feel the weight of it that we struggle with. Guys, that's why it's so important that I think we talk about this. That's why I think it's so important that we we look at scripture because scripture is always presented is there is a better way of life. You don't have to live this way. Your happiness doesn't have to track in the same way that everybody else's tracks. But it's gonna take wrestling with how God designed it and what he says about it. And few people, well, I would say no one talks about it better than Jesus. He talks about it quite a bit. And in fact, it's fascinating to me in in his longest sermon that we have on record from him, he takes a significant chunk of this sermon to really address this issue and address it at a core level. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter six. We'll also have it on the screen here as well. But Matthew six in Jesus' longest sermon, his longest section is on this topic. And and as he walks us through this, he helps us go, okay, how do I wrestle with this in a way that really makes a difference? Look what he says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, just just step back for a minute because some of these passages are pretty familiar to us and we kind of jump to a place. I want you to stop and notice what he's not doing here. Notice that Jesus is not condemning a desire to lay up treasure. If anything, if you look at this passage, he recognizes and understands and affirms our desires. Uh, It's fascinating to me. He doesn't go, oh, you want to lay up treasure? That's so greedy. That's so bad. In fact, some religions will teach you on this topic that that the way to really experience kind of peace in it is you've got to become detached from your desires. And if we could just get detached from our desires and not feel those things, then you're gonna experience happiness. 
Christianity doesn't teach that, by the way. Uh, Christianity teaches that God is the designer of us. God knows our hearts and our desires at a core level. And so, so all of scripture is not about, oh, how do I get away from desires? It's how do I redeem them? How do I change them? How do I align them in a way they were meant to be so I can experience the life he meant for me to have? And so so as you look at this, this desire to lay up whatever you value, this desire to have more of it, Jesus doesn't go, oh, you shouldn't even have that desire. He said, let's talk about that desire. And I I think it's really important with this because especially when we talk about money, sometimes even as church, we start out from guilt right out of the gate. Uh, The desires themselves that are there that are core. I, I compare a core desire that we have for sex. You take the core desire for sex. That's a good desire the way God designed it. He uses it to attract us to each other. And especially when a couple waits until they're in that commitment of marriage, then sex is this wonderful gift. It bonds them together. Out of sex comes procreation of children. Out of sex, all these relational benefits out of it. Now, can sexual desire lead to sin? Can sexual desire lead to wrong things? Absolutely, we see it all over the place. But the Bible doesn't teach sex is bad. Sometimes the church does, especially to young people. That's all they hear. Sex is bad. Stay away from it. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches it's this wonderful gift in the right context. And so how do I take this core desire and have my heart align with the way God designed it? In the same way, the Bible doesn't teach money is bad. Money's a tool but it teaches how do I align my heart and my desires around this issue? Notice what Jesus says here. He's not against investing. He's just asking, where are you investing? He says, man, if all you're laying up, all your treasure is focused here, and in their case, they didn't deal with markets per se, but you dealt with thieves, you dealt with moth, you dealt with rust, the destruction of this treasure. He says, yeah, that's pretty anxious. That's pretty stressful. Lay up for yourselves. I love that he actually tells us, hey, go ahead and lay it up. Go ahead and try to get more of it. But have it in heaven. Now, as soon as I say heaven, you go, okay, well, that's no fun. I want it now. (laughs) Or you might be here and you go, Tim, I don't even know if I believe heaven is real. For those of us who are Christians, we do believe heaven is real. The interesting thing is we don't often live like it when it comes to the topic of money because money feels so much more real now. And part of what Jesus is doing with these desires at a heart level, he goes, hey, let's step back for a minute. Man, you have this desire. You do want to lay up treasure. You do want to invest. You do want your life to have meaning. You do want all these things, these desires that are core to you. Let me help you actually make a better investment. Let me redeem those desires in a way that directs you to something that has more meaning and more value. And and to do that, you're gonna have to recognize this goes down to the heart. For where the treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a heart issue. It goes right to the core of who we are. See, he recognizes that how we deal with money is an issue of the heart. It always is an issue of the heart. That's why we feel it so deeply. That's why it feels so personal to us. We kind of hold on to it. 
And we, 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 we get our guard up a little bit. In fact, I, I wanna test Jesus' words right here, real quick. I want you to just turn to someone, someone you didn't come with, turn to them and just tell them your net worth right now. <laughs> Maybe it's hard to add it up, I'll make it simple. Turn to them and tell them your salary. You look at me and you're like, you're fried. I'm not about to do that. Why is that our response? Isn't it interesting? I could have asked you to turn to them and tell them about other parts of your personal life, all different things in your life, and you would have turned in a second. Oh yeah, let me tell them all about it. And then as soon as we get to money, it's like, oh no. Now, let me go ahead and allay some of your concerns. We're not gonna ask you, I don't wanna know how much you make. I don't wanna know your money. If you're at a church and they're asking for those kind of things, get out. <laughs> seriously, seriously. And, and, and I reckon that some of you, the reason your guard goes up so much, you've been really burned in some experiences and through churches out of this. Here's what I know. God knows all those things. And he's the one that knows your heart. What I want you just to feel right now, the reason this topic gets so tense for us, the reason some of you are a little agitated or over the course of the series, you're gonna find yourself a little defensive or, or why so many people, as soon as we get into the series, they just feel this overwhelming sense of guilt. It just kind of weighs on you. That you go, ah, I, I don't think I'm doing this area right. Here's what I, I love about Christianity. Here's when Jesus came, he said, I came in grace and truth. And he presents truth and, and, and it's really straightforward truth. And some of it's hard truth and some of it's convicting truth, but he always presents truth. Why did he say? So that you can experience freedom. And so over the course of this series, as I go through different scriptures, there's truth that you're gonna feel the conviction of that. And that's okay. But it always goes hand in hand with grace. And here's what I love about God's grace. Now, whether it's money or any area of my life, when I get convicted by that truth, he gives me the grace today to respond to it. God is not worried about the mistakes you made yesterday. Today's a new opportunity to, to live in his truth and walk in his truth and experience the grace in his truth. One of my favorite verses is, his mercies are new every morning. And so maybe in this series, as we, we plow into some of this truth, you're gonna find yourself in a place that you go, oh man, I feel convicted by that. You know what you have? You have new mercies that morning too. And you have new mercies the next day and the new mercies that through grace and truth, we get to experience at a heart level what this is all about. Now, to do that though, we, we, we gotta be honest with ourselves. And, and notice the next verses here. In fact, these are verses we usually skip over kind of in this section or we, or we think Jesus got lost. He has ADD. Like, like, okay, yeah, he starts talking about something else and then that. Look what he says in here. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body would be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body would be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Again, we were just talking about your heart and your money and treasure. And then, okay, Jesus, what are you doing here? 
light and eye and darkness and all that. Here's here's what he's pointing out with it. He's saying, hey, how you see something impacts everything about it. And if you're defective in seeing it, if you're blind, it doesn't matter how much light is around you. You're still in the dark with it. What Jesus is describing here is a term that we use a lot. They didn't use it back then, but it's the exact same concept. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a blind spot. And and so Jesus is saying we often have a blind spot when it comes to money. Jesus is a master communicator. He never gets off. So when he puts something like this in here, you you stop and you go, no, why is he saying this? Because he wants his audience as well to recognize as he's talking about treasure and money, they're all sitting there going, oh, we got this one down. I mean, his audience, he's gonna say in the very next chapter, man, you guys, you're so meticulous. You tithe, which means giving 10%. You do do it down to your your mints and your herbs and even the smallest, smallest food item they made sure they gave the right amount with. And so as he's talking to this audience, they're sitting there going, oh yeah, treasure, good. Yeah, oh, money, oh, we got this down. And he stops for a second and he says, ooh, maybe. There might be a blind spot. And, and the problem with the blind spot is you don't know you have it. And so even as we come into this, you, you might be here today and you go, well, yeah, this is not a top. Well, okay, let's, let's see what he says. And what does he relate it to? Look what he says. No one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other You cannot serve God and money. He he, he makes this this binary decision that comes. It doesn't get to be a both and. I don't get to serve God and I've got money over here and I kind of have it and it's a big source for me. He says, no, it's actually an either or. And, And even this religious audience he's talking to who thinks they are so meticulous in all of it. What he's saying is this blind spot, money has become our master. Money has become a a, a master, not not a tool in our life, but a master in our life. Now, as you you hear that, again, maybe you're like that audience, you hear it and you go, well, I think he's overstating a little bit. Or it certainly couldn't be me. That's kind of my first response. It can't be me, but then I remember the whole teaching on blind spot. The reason he brought up blind spot is I might not be seeing it the way I should. And the problem, if you have a blind spot, you're the one blind to it. And so there's this healthy place to step back and go, well, have I allowed it to take that place in my life? And as, as we talk about it, you see it, it shows up in some different ways different ways that people allow money in that and some of the categories. And these are just symptoms. And maybe just test yourself. One of the key ways I see is, is when money is this, this measure of success. Uh, and, and we see it all the time. How many times do you see it when the person wins the lottery? What do they do? I mean, it's kind of like the lottery dream. You go in and you quit your job that day. And then you got to buy a house and maybe not just one house. We got to buy a couple of houses. And then you got to buy a car, not just any car, a luxury car. In fact, uh, the the people said when Facebook went public, 
you could tell when everybody became vested because all these young guys walked into the Ferrari dealerships and Bugattis and you saw these guys ramming gears, driving luxury cars they didn't know how to drive around town with it. And, and, we, and we do that because, man, I not only have it, people need to know I have it. I want to feel it. And, and it, as you see that, it, it, the problem with this on two parts. One, and Morgan Housel's written a great book. He's a, a writer for the Wall Street Journal. Great book, The Psychology of Money. And he described, especially like luxury cars or luxury items with it. He said he used to be a valet at a really nice restaurant and he loved parking these luxury cars. The thing about it, when somebody pulls up in a Ferrari or Bugatti or the different car with that, when you look at them, I don't know if this happens to you, like you pull up to a stoplight and they pull up in the Ferrari and you look over at them and, and the problem is we immediately admire the car. You're like, whoa. But you don't really admire the guy driving it. I mean, think about it. Oftentimes you kind of look at him and you go, what's that putz doing? He doesn't deserve it, you know? And so when he drives off, I'm not picturing him in his car. Woo, he's impressive. I'm picturing me in that car and how impressive I would be if I had that. It just doesn't do nearly what we think it will do to other people. And, and the greater problem is our brains adjust to it. There's this, this whole phenomenon, psychologists call it the hedonic treadmill. That if you have this massive raise in wealth and opportunity, for the first 18 months, it feels unbelievable. It's this rush because your brain is comparing, man, this was my life and this is where I lived and this is what I drove. And the problem is about 18 months later, you adjust and it becomes your new normal and it doesn't bring the happiness that it did. That's why you can see an economic scale in a country go up, 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 up and a happiness scale go down because it doesn't deliver what we thought it would. You know, one of the richest guys who ever walked the planet is Solomon. And one of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes because he's so honest about these issues. Look how he puts it. He says in Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. It just doesn't deliver what you think it is. And so when, when success is that core, when, when money is my area of success, I can recognize if I'm measuring my life that way, man, that means that I'll have a blind spot when it comes to money. Uh, maybe you're here and you go, yeah, that, that's not my thing. One that's very close to it, it's a little bit different than success, it's significance. It's significance. And this isn't so much about the trappings of wealth. This isn't so much that I've got to show it off and I got to drive the car. But, but money is the key way that I keep score in life. It, it's how I, I, I know that I'm winning. It, it, and so, you know, I always got to look at it and look how I'm doing. That's why it's fascinating. And you can see this happen on a team. You can see a team of players and one of them gets a big contract and makes a big jump money-wise. And the rest of the team, suddenly there's this like dissension in the team over it. People even punch each other over it. 
And all of them are making a ton of money, but it's a scorecard. Who's valued? What does it mean? And it's easy for any of us to do because we're, we're all wanting to feel like I win in life and, and where are the scorecards? And it's one of the simplest ones to have. I, I remember this so well, I saw it with my brother, Todd. He's a couple years older than me. And Todd, I mean, he was so smart and he was so driven and he got into tech early. I mean, in the late eighties, out of college, he was in tech. And so he started making the jump, jump and he was with Novell and then he went with Cisco Systems and then he jumped to Dell and, and, and he was making the rise with it. And, and I remember, uh, you know, the first big church when I was interviewing for a job with the first big church, he called me, kind of big brother call. He said, hey, hey, you, you need me to, to fly in and help you negotiate the contract? And I was like, yeah, my world's a little different than your world. I'll, I'll never forget, he goes, okay, just at least promise me this. Promise me this, do not take their first offer. He said, in fact, when you're in the room and they slide the offer to you, here's what I need you to do. He says, pick it up, look at it, laugh out loud. <laughs> and then kind of wad it up and get up and then tell them, hey, when you guys are serious, get back in touch with me and walk out. I said, Todd, it really doesn't work that way in the church world. I'm just, just you know, not, not a good start. I remember when he was making all the jumps from company to company, he called me one time, he was with Dell, but he's looking, going, launching a company. And he goes, oh yeah, this headhunter's talking to me. I don't think I'm gonna go with them. It's not enough money. And I asked him, I said, how much is enough? I mean, you don't spend it. You got a pretty modest house, modest car. You're, you're, you're not in the trappings of wealth at all. How much is enough? And I'll never forget, he said, you, you don't get it. It's about winning. I gotta win in life. There was something in him that was looking for it and driving toward it and needing it. And I watched as he not only went on that pursuit, but he also allowed alcoholism to destroy his life. And I remember standing over his grave when he died when he was 42 years old. Something there. And I'm not saying this is the only issue, but I'll never forget those words when he said, it's about winning. Maybe you're here and you, <laughs> part of you is like, yeah, I'm just, I need some metric to know that my life's significant. I know, need to know that, that I accomplished out of it. Look, look how Solomon put it. He said, I, he said, I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me. My wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing worthwhile anywhere. Because when this is your scorecard, you think it's just a scorecard, but money's become a cruel master. 
Now, I, I know for most sitting out here, you go, Tim, that, that is not my issue. I'm not driving Ferrari. I'm not chasing after that kind of stuff. In fact, I drive a Prius and, you know, I, I have it. I, th- this may be the category where most people, whether we realize it or not, money's, money's become our master. It's the one actually Jesus hits most directly in this passage. It's when it's your source of security. It's when you look to it and you go, okay, now I feel secure. Look look what he says in the passage. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. If you want to know if it's your source of security, you deal with anxiety. He says, don't be anxiety, anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, you're anxious about this stuff of life. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? You can't add one hour to your life. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, remember the rich guy we were just talking about? He says, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like flowers. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow's thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He says, you guys are worrying. And notice what they're worrying about. They're worrying about, oh, do we have enough food or do we have clothes to put on? Um, We're probably past that, aren't we? I doubt anybody today, maybe you are. and, And hear me, if you're struggling with that, we have a benevolence ministry. We'd love to help you if you need food, if you need core resources. But, I, but I'd say most of our audience here, you probably didn't worry too much that you didn't have something to wear today. You may have worried about what you wore today, but not having it. But pretty quickly, where does it turn for us? I mean, we start looking at mortgage rates and they're going up. And we look at the housing market and we look at inflation. And we look at gas prices and we go to the grocery store and you try to buy a dozen eggs at Costco and you're like, what in the world happened here? And pretty quickly, we feel that anxiety. And Jesus is telling us, hey, this is an indicator that that you're allowing it to become a source of security. And I know that's heavy when we feel that, but but it's so important that we wrestle with it. See, all of it, if you you boil it down, all of it comes down to the issue of self-sufficiency. When money in any of these forms, whether success or significance, security on that, I'm I'm looking to it so that I can feel self-sufficient. So I can feel like I take care of me. And again, those aren't bad desires. We're gonna see in scripture. Scripture tells us how do we use the resources we have? How do we, we do this with wisdom? But at a heart level, the reason that Jesus makes this such a binary thing that it can't be God or money. Notice he doesn't say that about other things. He doesn't say God or sex or God or anything else. What is it about money that he would go, yeah, you gotta pick which one's your master? See, the thing about money that is so deceiving is it's the one resource that I feel like if I have enough of it, 
I can take care of me. I can be in control of life. And that's why Jesus has to disrupt that and go, do do you feel the illusion you're falling into? The illusion that you have that, oh, you know what my problem in life is? I just need a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more. He says, you're falling into a trap there. And it's the reason, remember when he had a young guy that walked up to him, this rich young guy walks up and says, hey, Jesus, I have kept every command there is. I've done all of them. And Jesus doesn't look at him and go, no, you haven't. (laughs) He goes, great. Okay, one, one last thing I need you to do. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, we know this story, so we go, hmm, just stop for a second. That's terrible financial advice, isn't it? I mean, if my closing application today, could you imagine if my application, my last point today is, so to apply this passage, I need you to go liquidate everything you have and go follow Jesus. You'd all walk out of here and go, he's nuts, he's crazy. But see, Jesus recognized with this guy, this guy was so self-sufficient and he thought he was so righteous. He didn't need a savior. And so he's willing to ask really radical things of him. And notice he doesn't go later when the guy, it says the guy's sad and he walks off. Jesus doesn't chase after him later and go, hey, hey dude, I didn't really mean it. I was just trying to make a point. No, he he knows this, this guy's heart is wrapped up in this. And he cares more about his soul than his money. That's why he he turns to his disciples in that passage. Look what he says to them. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Man, that's radical. No, no, why is he saying this? Because he doesn't like rich people and he doesn't want anybody to be rich and he doesn't want you to have money. The Bible doesn't teach that. But here's what he, he, he wants you to realize that when you have a lot and when you're rich, it's very easy to become self-sufficient and to not need him and to not rest on him. And without even knowing, even in a blind spot, it, it suddenly takes a place in your heart and life that it's no longer this tool, this wonderful resource where God can channel your desires and now becomes the center of your desires and the source of your success and the measure of your significance and the very basis of security where where if I'm feeling secure and I have enough, I feel good about life. And if I don't have enough, I don't feel good about life. See, the warning of scripture, look, at, look how Paul puts it. He said, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And once this grabs hold of your life, it doesn't just stay with money. It kind of opens you up to all different stuff. Look what he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say money is, but the love of it is. Man, man when my sole desire 
is focused on that. We become what we love. It is through this craving, and this is the line that just smacked me in the face. It's through this craving, this, this love of money, this, this soul desire with it, that, that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. He says, even those who've been a part of the church, they just start walking away from the faith. And at the core of it, it's because they've replaced God with a different one. This is why this line stood out to me as I watch what's happening generationally in our country. And go back to the, the line again. Remember the metric? This is from 1990 to today. And this is wealth. Wealth has grown exponentially during our time. It's look, look at this up and to the right. Do you know what else has gone up and to the right? People that are religiously unaffiliated, people that are go, they've walked away from church or religion, the rise of the nuns. And unfortunately, this isn't just people out there. This is church people. Look at it. The graphs almost look exactly the same, doesn't it? And am I saying this is the sole cause? No. But I do have to wonder for those of us who are parents, what are we teaching our kids? Not just explicitly, but implicitly. Are, are we teaching them without even realizing it that the most important thing in your life is one day you've got to make sure you have the right job and to get the right job and the right status one day, you gotta get the right grades now and you gotta go to the right school and you gotta do the right activity and you gotta get in the right school afterwards and, and don't even think about marriage and all that. That doesn't matter as much. Kids don't matter as much. Nothing else matters as much. Man, you've got to make sure you made it in life. And, and implicitly we say to them, you're, you're gonna go to school and you're gonna do your studies and you're gonna do these things. Now, we don't demand that you come to church. Huh, you don't wanna go to church? Well, I would never demand that. But I'll demand all these things. Because at a core, we're teaching without even realizing it. This is what defines life. Now hear me, hear me. Some of you are squirming a little bit. That's okay, that's okay. Jesus told a guy to give away all his money. I think I can tell you this. I'm a parent. And do, do I want my kids to get a good education? Do I want my, my kids to be able to sustain life and not live off my dime? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I recognize all these things that are a part of it. But at some point, if we in the church aren't willing to look at some of these things and as much as we like to go, oh, it's the bad culture out there, it's social media out there, it's all these things out there, that's to blame for it. There's some places where Jesus says, hey, you may have some blind spots too. And it may be around this issue in a way that we both have to model it and teach it and live it differently. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Look, look what Jesus says in it. He says, therefore, don't be anxious about what you eat or drink, what you wear. The Gentiles, everybody in the world is seeking after these things. This is where you guys are different. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. I love the contrast he makes. Notice what he says. Do I want money as my master or will I trust God as my father? He doesn't say master to master. 
No, no, notice that. He doesn't go, well, money is your master or you gotta go serve God as your master and it's gonna be hard, but take your medicine. No, look how he describes it. He says, hey, listen to me. You can either choose to live that life, that, that blind spot life where money is chewing you up and it's anxious all the time, or you could trust that you actually have a father and he knows what you need. And he knows how life works. What would it look like to trust him with this area of your heart? I remember years ago when we first moved to California the first time, one of my sons was in kindergarten. And it was his birthday. And, and as he started opening birthday cards, I remember when one card, his relatives had sent him some money and some cash fell out. And I remember he stuck his arms up and he goes, I have money. And I was like, well, this is not a great sign for a six-year-old. And every card, more money kept falling out and he was celebrating it. And I was like, son, you seem really excited about money. What, what is it? And he goes, oh, dad, our kindergarten class is supporting this orphanage in the Philippines. And I haven't had anything to give. And I'm sitting there going, oh, loser dad of the world that, you know, I didn't send any money. He goes, I have money. And, and he kept opening the cards and he ended up with $37. And I asked him, I said, okay, so what are you gonna do with your money? And he looked at me kind of and he goes, I'm gonna give it to the orphanage. And so I thought, you know, as dad, I need to teach him about money. And so I said, hey, okay, let's talk about it. Cause you know, there's principles of money that you save. Maybe we'll save part of this. And then certainly let's give, give. And, and then, you know, there's a part of it. Maybe you want to buy a present or a toy. Your, your relatives sent this, that'd be okay too. And he's listening to all of it and kind of taking it in. And, and finally at the end, he goes, okay, dad, I'll do that if you think I should. But then he turned, he said, but daddy, I don't understand one thing. The boys and the girls in the orphanage, they don't have a mom and dad. They don't have anybody to take care of them. And you guys take care of me. And he, he grabbed the money at that point and he said, so why do I need this? Now, I wish he still thought that way, he's grown. <laughs> And there's a part of it that you go, well, that's a sweet sentiment as a kid. Here's what stood out to me though in it. There was this absolute trust in me as his dad. See, because I trust you, this becomes less powerful in my life. This becomes less needed in my life. This doesn't become the center of my life. Why am I holding on to this? if I have you. And at a heart level of everything that we're gonna teach, it really does come down to this, what Jesus is talking about. Do you trust God as dad? That he's got you, that he understands you, that, that he knows what you need. And so when Jesus applies it, look what he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom. 
And, and, and that can be like generalized. You go, okay, how do I apply that? Remember when Jesus taught us to pray? What, how do we pray? We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And what you're praying in that moment is in every area of my life, God, you get to be in charge. And so what he's telling us in this area is today, will I put God's agenda first in every area of my life, even my money? Just at a core level, that, that's, that's all I'm asking. It's simple in one way, but it's so profound that when you come and you go, this area of my life, would I look at it and go, that kingdom come, that will be done. God, you get control of all of this. In fact, as we finish out today, we're, we're gonna take some time and we're gonna reflect on what Christ did for us but I also, anytime I take communion, I also use it as a time to reflect on what's going on inside of me. And remember when Jesus, before he was crucified on the cross, remember when he prayed and he's in the garden? Remember his prayer? He says, I don't wanna do this, but not my will, thy will. And maybe you're here today, even as we start talking about this topic and you know, as we go through the next six weeks, you go, man, there's parts of this, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna give God that kind of control. I don't wanna release that. And Jesus is looking at you today and he says, hey, trust me. You don't want money as a master. It's a great tool, terrible master. Trust God as your father and release it to him. Why don't you take a moment, just bow where you are. I'm gonna just let you reflect before God, be still before God. And if in this moment, you're willing to just open your heart in that way and say, Jesus, thy kingdom come in every area, even my money. as you do that we're going to allow God just to work in our hearts I, I don't know what that means for you I don't know where he's convicting you I don't know what he's calling you to and the great news is I don't have to you have a Holy Spirit who leads in this you have a Savior who sacrificed for you you have a Father who loves you as a dad Let, let's reflect on that and while the worship team leads us even now in singing, I just want you to reflect on these words, reflect on who Jesus is. And then I'll come back up in just a moment and I'll lead us as we take communion together. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.